Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is a born and raised Brit who moved to America in her late 20s for business. After an accomplished career as a senior VP at an advertising firm and then at a media company in London, New York, and L.A., she became a mother. Drawing from her advertising and marketing skills and life experiences, she transitioned her skills into female empowerment activism through speaking engagements, workshops, online articles, film, and mentorship in the U.S. and globally. Embarking on a personal journey to write My Mother Next Door, she was further inspired to create and host a new podcast series with her millennial daughter called Mothers and Daughters Unfiltered. The title says it all. (laughs) Welcome to Authors Over 50, Diane Danvers-Simmons. Thank you, Julia, and thank you for that tremendous intro. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you, Diane. You have got quite the story to tell. So our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write a book? Well, that's a very good question because at the end of the day, we all have a book somewhere in us, but we just don't know it. Um, And this was a story that I truly never intended to tell. I didn't even want to tell it. But it was one that as the world, God, the universe, whoever your master is, um, tells us just, I I had to write it. Um, and it was really at the encouragement of other women and my children that I wrote the story. Because when I was doing my speaking engagements or a workshop or just chatting with friends and these stories come out, people would say to me, how come you've, you seem to have had this, you're having this great life and you're positive, you're a happy person. And I said, because, you know, it, it's it's how we look at how we take what's happened to us, take the good, leave the bad behind, learn from those lessons and move forward. And so a lot of people asked me to write the book. And honestly, it was through the encouragement of other women um, and a rather interesting woman in uh, that I met in Morocco when I was with my daughter who said, you have to write this story. You have to share it to help others because it's a story of understanding and forgiveness. 
with a lot of humor. But yeah. Well, you know, they say the truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, yes. <laughs> you were abandoned by your mother, but she was always within shouting distance. She moved <laughs> next door. This is so unusual. How yes. did you or did you find forgiveness? Well, I think you have to look at each individual situation. Um, my mother didn't just move next door. She didn't tell my father she was moving next door. And she moved next door to live with three hot college guys that she'd been renting the house to. <laughs> so I'm 16. It was exactly a week after my 16th birthday. And um, so it was all rather strange. It, it's one of those interesting situations when you write a book in your 50s about your teen years, you have a very different perspective than when you were 16, which is when this happened to me. So I was able to look at it as a woman who could honestly say, ooh, I get some of that. Yeah, I might feel that way. But this was in the 70s. So it was unheard of and very unusual, unless you're Elizabeth Taylor, of course, then it was you know, perfectly fine. Um, but the way she presented it, she told me on a Friday, I think I say in the book, if I can just share this, um, it was a week after my 16th birthday, got home from school, jumped on the counter, normal cup of tea, mother-daughter banter. And she just announces to me, I'm leaving tomorrow. And I didn't really process that in that moment because she was always threatening to leave. And she was a very volatile, larger-than-life character. Um, so she was always threatening, and I, I just didn't believe it. But when I got home from my Saturday job the next day, I walked in the house, no note, no number, nothing, just deathly silence. And it hit me as I ran around the house looking for clues that I, sh I, I think she's really done this, but I didn't, I still didn't believe it until I went next door, knocked on her door and she opened it. And sure enough, she left. And she, she told me over another cup of tea in her living room, but she hadn't told my father. So she left me to tell my father but here's the, the clincher, I think, which I didn't even realize till actually I was in my 40s, even quite honestly, that my mother, my mother was a narcissist. So she presented it to me in a way that I felt like, am I being selfish? Am I being, you know, this is her life, not just my life. And so it was very confusing, complicated time. On one hand, I understood it but on the other hand I I was a 16 year old who was in the middle of exams and my love life my friends you know I needed my mother at that time so it was very strange but the only benefit was she was next door so it was easy to go to her when I needed to but it it wasn't my home 
I didn't have a key to that door. So it was very, very conflicting, very strange time. I can only imagine. And now you and your daughter have unfiltered conversations. Does that help your relationship or does it place a strain on it sometimes? <laughs> um, you asked me about forgiveness as well in the other que other question, which I never answered. But um, I vowed after my mother left that I would never do unto my children what my mother did to me. I vowed that I wouldn't walk away from my daughter every time something got tough, which is what my mother did. And that it wasn't about me, it was about us and about her. You know, I'm I'm older, I should know better. Not that I do, but I should. But the um, from a very young age, I always said to my daughter, you know, I can assure you, I've seen, <laughs> been, done everything. I mean, let's face it, we grew up in the good times in the 70s and the 80s where we weren't watched all the time. We weren't on social media. We didn't have that noise that impacted us. So it, some of the conversations have been hard, and you're right, some of the unfiltered conversations, it's like, mm, wish I wasn't going here, or do you really have to tell me that much? It's okay. But I'm so aware of it, of how my mother didn't hear me or include me, that maybe sometimes I go overboard on that to make sure I do. But it was really uh, my, my daughter and I take a trip every year, somewhere very special. And I've done that with her since she was a little girl. Um, and that's our, our time. So, I, I, you know, I've gone through some difficult times with my own husband. And when I have, I've always sat down and talked to my children about it rather than just leaving them to deal with it, which is basically what my mother did. She basically said, you deal with our separation. You deal with your father. You tell him. And any conversation we're having, you've got to handle it for us. So I think that's why I'm able to have the unfiltered conversations because I know what it feels like. And you have a choice. You either choose to let go of that and, and change that pattern or you hold on to it and you're going to suffer. So what's the point of suffering? You know, it, it's, I simplify it, but, um, you know, my daughter's brutally honest. She's like my mother in that way. So that can be hard sometimes, there's no doubt. But, you know, I, I, I'm just, I, I just, I know what it feels like and I don't want her to feel that way. That was such a burden to place on on a child, you know, from from your parent. And sometimes my my daughters will say to me, we've never told you this. We want to share with you something that happened in high school and you'll find it so amusing. <laughs> and I'll say enough time has not passed. I will not find it amusing. <laughs> Just keep that to yourself. <laughs> 
I know. know there there certainly have been some things and you sit there and it's like okay I think I need a glass of wine right now <laughs> you know where I grew up in the south we did not talk about things we squashed everything down and we kept it a secret so I don't want to hear all of their secrets now at this point yeah well that's very English actually that's mm-hmm. very English as well but you got to remember yes. my mother was Irish oh okay. so mm-hmm. she she shared what she wanted to which was plenty. <laughs> well, once you wrote the book, how mm-hmm. did you proceed? Did you search for an agent? Did you decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? You know, I honestly, as you well know, writing the book is one thing. Getting it published is a whole other confusing, frustrating um soul-sucking, quite frankly, (laughs) pursuit. Um, I started off when I wrote it, uh, I wrote a proposal initially, which is what I was told to do. It Because the idea really started as a film. Because every time people wanted to hear the story, and I was involved in the film business, as you mentioned, and, you know, I, I spoke to some writers and even played around with it. But the script, or the outline people were coming back to me was like high school musical meets the hangover. This is a funny story, but it's, you know, don't change every character. And a good friend of mine who is involved in Hollywood said to me, write the story yourself, Diane. Then no one can turn it into something that is not, at least the real story is there. So that was the first, first lesson. Second lesson, um, I wrote, the proposal, sent it out to loads of agents. Love the story, but we've got a female writer. Sent back, sent back. The agents, half of them won't even look at you because you're not a known commodity. And I hate to use that word, but that's the truth. Um, Then I actually, again, I I was going to walk away from the story. Every time I've walked away from this story, something's happened. That coincidence? No, something's happened to make me continue. And I read actually in our local Carmel magazine um, about this woman who hosted these workshops here, writers' workshops. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give it one last try. And I went to this workshop Linda Sipperstein is her name. She just launched a book herself. And um, I went with a different story, but I had that story. And there were five of us there. And I read the treatment, the overview. And they all said to me, you have to write this story. And Linda said, you have to write this story and I'll help you find an agent. And so I redid the proposal, did the query letter, which is what you write to send to agents, sent it out, and this agent fell in love with it, New York agent. However, (laughs) she sent out the proposal. While this was happening, I was traveling. She broke her leg in three places. Um, We sent it, she sent it to about eight, ten publishers. I got back the most she did as well. Obviously she did and sent them to me. The most beautiful letters about this book. 
loved the story, new voice. It's so refreshing, unique. But we already have a female author. Or we're not sure if the public is really interested in this. And, and, and it, it was so disheartening, so disheartening. So then I thought, well, she said to me, you should really look at English agents, but it's very hard from here. And she, she kept on saying to me, the publishing world is changing, Diane. Look at, I've gone to all the top companies. They love your book. I can't resubmit right now. Why don't you write this other book? I was like, no, I, I want to finish this book. So um, I ended up looking at hybrid publishers. I didn't want to publish on my own. And so I sent it to a number of hybrid publishers. And I also spoke to some other people in the publishing world or agent, different people and her to check who was who. And I ended up actually, um, ended up going with Cola Books where they publish books in a traditional way. They do some partnerships. And I ended up with them because their um, acquisitions editor actually spent two months chasing me down because he had the wrong emails, the wrong number, and he eventually found me. And I thought, if you're going to go to this effort, then you're worth speaking to. So it was done as a partnership uh, where I ended up retaining more rights um, and um, I helped pay towards the printing, but they did everything else. So it was a, I, I think it was a really good way. And the other thing is the founder of the company was on Zoom calls with me every month helping me going over everything and their editors. And so I, I think you have to really do your research because there were other companies. They all suddenly, I didn't hear for three months and suddenly five companies came back with offers. It's always the way it is. I think there's something in the universe that if somebody wants something, then everybody wants it at the same time. Yes. <laughs> Well, what about publicity? I, I know even the big five are, are asking their authors to do their own publicity. Have you found anything that worked or didn't work? You know, it, it again, you're absolutely right. The big five. Um, I worked with a PR company. I did. I, you know, that's my back. Well, I'm in total marketing. I'm not necessarily a PR expert, but I spoke to some PR experts. Again, research companies spoke to a lot of companies. And um, I said, you know, I don't have the budgets to do this, a, a big PR campaign. Um, but can you help me? And they did for like a month. And then they did it every other week, like for another month. So it was a short campaign. Um, and we worked together and they sent out the media package and I got incredible response. I have to say, I've, um, and, and interestingly, which really shocked me, um, I thought I could get away with writing the story in America and not many people in England would notice it, but it was <laughs> all these British companies, Daily Mail and Guardian were fighting over an exclusive 
huge newspapers. Um, so I was in Female Magazine, which is the Daily Mail, part of their newspaper. Um, English Reviewers, uh, Woman and Home Magazine, the magazine, my mother used to read that magazine. It's one of the biggest magazines in the UK. Um, I was on national TV, a number of um, podcasts and um, some online platforms as well, you know, online magazines as well. So it was worthwhile, but it's really hit or miss. And when I look at the numbers, I see the peaks, particularly with TV. Um, and the peaks, you know, when you're on a podcast or you're on in a magazine. But it's hard to tell exactly what the return on investment is, you know, because a book has a life of its own. And so it's, it's, it's you get a sense, but does it pay for your campaign? Probably not. Really? And no. I, th I feel like my my background is marketing and PR too. And sometimes in this industry, I feel like we're just throwing spaghetti against the wall to see if it'll stick. <laughs> yes, you're so right. You know, we have influencers and all this social media. So there's so, you know, it's back to, there's so much noise out there. How do you break through? Well, if there truly are over a million books, some say two million books a year published in the U.S., yes. th that's a lot to compete, you know, against. Yes, particularly when Michelle Obama comes out the same year as you. You know, that's it's. You're absolutely right. It's it. Ha you have to write your story for you for whatever your intentional purpose is with that book and then see where it leads you. Because um, if you're writing a book to make money, forget it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it is part of our legacy to leave for those who come behind us, you know, these daughters that we have that we can show, you know, even after 50, you can still have another career, you can still achieve, yes. there's still, you know, so much to say. And I think, you know, at least that we've done that for for our family. I, I absolutely agree. And I love what you're doing. Because, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to say I'm over 50, I'm 60, or mm -hmm. whatever age you are. Um, but it was my daughter who said to me, mom, look at what you're doing with your life. It's inspiring to us to know that you keep evolving. And, you know, I, I think our society is so focused on youth. I mean, I see that changing, which is amazing. And it needs to, because you think of the wisdom and how you really come into your own, you know, that you're not worried about, is someone going to like me because of this or dislike me? Of course, none of us want to be disliked. But there is this whole different essence of who we are at this point. And we do have a lot to share. And for me, it was when I was speaking at, at different, um, you know, foundations and in my women's empowerment work, and it was the 24-year-old or the 28-year-old that would come up to me and say, 
oh, thank you. I don't feel so alone. Or I know I don't have to do it all at once because we can't do it all at once. But we can, through the breadth of our life, do as much as we want to achieve. And I think that's so powerful. And to be a mentor to the the next generation, you know, it's just it's just what I call for us life's sweetest third that we can share yes. what we what we have lived through, what we have survived and yeah. and maybe help those, you know, who do come behind us. Which is why I wrote the book, be- because we can su- survive and we're all here, you know. Our ancestors, our parents, they had different upbringings. They lived in different times. So, you know, what I found amazing with this book is the number of conversations because I have spoken at women's groups or book clubs. I love speaking at book clubs. New questions come out every time. And women are looking going, whoa, I didn't I didn't ask my mother who she was before who she is now, what are her dreams? Why, you know, I I try in the story as you read through to show her backstory so you can begin to understand why she did some of the things she did. So she's not just a villain in the story, but you're trying trying to understand what her her, uh, impetus to do that was. I think that that's important for us to understand until we walk in other people's shoes. We truly don't know what led them in that direction. Exactly. Exactly. Well, why don't you uh, read a section for us so that we can hear your tone and voice in the book? Okay. I will. I'm going to read you uh, chapter five, not the whole chapter, (laughs) but a section of it. Um, which is called Stop in the Name of Love. And I'll just give you a little intro to that. Every chapter title is a Dinah Ross song. My favorite. Yes. Those those Supremes. Yes. Yeah, Dinah Ross and the Supremes. Mm -hmm. And the reason being, when I was a teenager, my idol was Dinah Ross, and I wanted to be a singer just like Dinah Ross. Mm -hmm. And when times got tough, I would just play her music, and most nights while this was going on, I'd be playing Dinah Ross, dancing in my room, just letting go of that energy that was just tough time, mm-hmm. one way to let go of the engine. So stop in the name of love. My mother had always been full of blood and thunder, and when she told me she was leaving us, I convinced myself that this was simply one of her dramatic calls for attention. The incident occurred on a Friday, exactly one week after my 16th birthday. Upon entering number 49 and instantly discarding my homework-infested school bag, I sprinted down the hallway into the kitchen and jumped onto the counter, as I frequently did after school, for our usual mother-daughter banter cup of tea and lion's chocolate cupcakes. It was a wonder I wasn't 300 stone, as I had a cupcake every day after school. Then again, I'd certainly burned enough calories after enacting Monty Python's leg-hurling, bunny-hopping, silly walks all the way home with my best friend Sophie. Before jumping on the counter, I attempted to give my 
typically unabashed, four foot 11 mother, fondly referred to as little Hitler by yours truly, a hug. Her underwhelming response was nothing short of an Egyptian mummy in a pink pinny entombed in an ice block. So I appropriately gave her a puppy-like pat on the head to see if that would garner a suitable reaction. A small growl, an arch of the eyebrow, a swift chiding, anything. But she remained frozen, much like her generously sprayed hairdo. While doling out affection was certainly not mother's forte, something was definitely off. She wasn't her normal, audacious, bossy self, and she seemed more agitated and distracted than usual. The final red flag that something was out of sorts was that she hadn't swatted me for putting her hairdo in jeopardy. And she wasn't even singing along with the ever-present radio to wind me up. She was always belting along with some latest pop tragedy. Yet this afternoon, she was unusually quiet. Well, thank God for small mercies. Would you like me to read some more? Well, I would like you to read the entire book with that <laughs> accent and... <laughs> And it's such an intriguing story. I want us all to rush out and get this book because we have to know what happened after mother moved next door. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's actually, um, I did narrate the audiobook myself because I felt that was very important to the story because it's written with a lot of British humor. And I think when you hear someone's voice, Whereas you might think, ooh, that's a bit harsh. It's like my mother used to say to me, you're big and ugly enough to take care of yourself. And she actually said that to me when she left. Wow. But it, but it was her endearing way of saying things. <laughs> oh, um, that is the, uh... the audiobook launches on the 31st of August, actually. It'll be on every platform available. Well, then I'm going to listen because that's what I do now. I listen to audiobooks when I ride my bike or take trips in the car. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best way. Well, that's wonderful. Diane, do you have any unpublished or half finished books? Do you have another another book in you? Uh I have about three. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm, you know, one is uh, really about that trip to Morocco where the I write about it in the introduction so I won't give it away but it was one of those magical things where my first year of my daughter being in college my husband and I were going through a tough time she was having a tough time dealing with all of this so rather than walk away from it I took her on a trip and we went to Morocco where we could be together and connect, reconnect, and really solidify our bond and anything she needed to share we could do out of our day-to-day -day life, you know. Um, and that's where we met this channeler who said, you need to forgive your mother so your daughter doesn't carry the generational burden. Um, so that's one story. Um and then the other one is really, um, as I wrote this book, 
My mother was born in um, before women could vote. So she was born in the in 1915 uh, in Ireland. And the stories and what I learned about the women of Ireland and even family members through that time are fascinating. So that's probably the next book I'm going to write um, because it's a fascinating story. And and then there are some other ones of very funny stories of my daughter and my travels. But I think maybe that's one I should write with her. Well, I, I agree. I, I think that your writing has to be therapy for both you and your daughter. You sound like a wonderful mother who has escaped and survived her own childhood <laughs> and has become a stronger woman because of it. So I'm so delighted to to get to know you and to hear about your stories. And, and I'm going to listen into your podcast to hear what your daughter has to say as well. Yeah, she she actually interviewed me about the book. And she and I are off to Ireland, actually, next week to visit Mother's family in Waterford and to visit her grave, actually, wow. over there, which I haven't been to yet because of everything. But, yeah. Well, Diane, our last question on Authors Over 50, as always, our writers are such a unique group. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? 50 and above, as we said earlier, you have so many rich life experiences and so much to offer the world, other women, actually, of our own generation, inspiring them that this next phase, this phase of, as you put it, the third phase, is a time for creativity, exploration, sharing our stories that have have meaning. But it's also how we stay young and vibrant. You know, take, I've never written a book before. But stay true to your voice. That's do not allow people to change who you are and your voice, because that's what makes you unique. And, you know, I used to call my mother little Hitler. That's not politically correct these days. However, that's part of the truth of my story. So I have to stand by that. It wasn't done in the mean way. It was, you know, that the British have a pretty wicked sense of humor. And we tease each other. And if we're too sweet to each other, it means we probably don't like you very much. <laughs> but um, my biggest message would be do it for you. Stay true to your voice and know that you have the best content in the world right here inside of you. Um and if you feel like sharing it, share it. But do it because you want to and for the love of it. Don't do it because you think it's going to be a bestseller necessarily. Because it's a lot of time and effort. As you know, I think this took me oh, maybe five years, six years, walking away from it, coming back to it. It's a long time. And that's not unusual. I've heard people 
who write for much longer before they publish their first book. So we just appreciate you so much and your time with us here today. And we look forward to hearing more from you and your next books. And we're just happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. (laughs) Well, thank you, Julia. And I really appreciate you creating this platform to inspire other women and to just show how awesome women are over 50, quite honestly. (laughs) I agree. And we don't even have to move next door to to be special. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we don't. (laughs) Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Really enjoyed our time together. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.